Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jira Taylor, your host, coming at you from beautiful sunny coast in Australia. This week on the podcast, I have a conversation with Megan Flamer, who is the new program director for Blue Chili's latest accelerator program. Blue Chili is Australia's largest tech startup accelerator with $800 million worth of portfolio value and over 100 startups launched. Megan has recently returned from San Francisco where she's been working um, both as a journalist and then as a mindfulness consultant who was creating programs for high-performing teams at Google, Facebook, HSBC and others. And she's recently come on board, uh, come back to Australia to help Blue Chili launched this new, very interesting accelerator program, which is a partnership with Coca-Cola Amatil, which basically represents Blue Chili's and Coca-Cola's purpose, vision, to uh, create a more sustainable future, to reimagine the customer experience, and to help people get what they want through uh, new technologies like biometrics, AI, blockchain, Um, new ways of using predictive data or applying psychometric testing and neuroscience to e-commerce. And Megan is uh, a very interesting person. It was a delight having this uh, dialogue with her. We get deep into the underbelly of uh, tech startup culture, some of the myths, the good side, the ugly side, and what are some of the shifts that are happening inside tech startup land um, that are really exciting her and myself at the moment. It was really a very illuminating conversation in terms of seeing the potential of new emergences, like new tech startups, new ideas, new visions, and what happens when they are supported by existing and larger entities, like large multinational corporations. Like if there is a authentic connection and alignment, really there's limitless possibility when you bring those two things together. And that's something interesting to both of us. It requires us collapsing the kind of like judgment or polarity about big corporates being bad. And, and, uh, but it really is a very interesting uh, philosophical area to uh, go into when you start thinking about what is the most powerful avenues and pathways to global transformation. Is it to align with these uh, large multinational companies or is it to almost demonize them and make an enemy of them well i think the answer is quite clear Uh, we jump into that and more Uh, please tune in to this conversation with megan flamer from blue chili welcome to the flow state performance podcast Um, i'm here with megan flamer Uh, thanks for joining us megan hey it's my pleasure Awesome. So just uh, for the audience, just introduce yourself, just give us a little bit of background, what you're doing now, your current role, and potentially we'll get into how you've ended up there. Yeah, for sure. So I just moved back to Australia, um, newly based out of Sydney. I've never lived in Sydney before, so this is a brave new world for me. Um, After nine years away, so I've just spent the last four years in San Francisco and five years before that in in Asia mainly. but yeah, what brought me back to Australia is that I'm, I'm working with a company called Blue Chili, which is a startup accelerator, and I'm the new program director of a program called Accelerate, which is a partnership between Coca-Cola Amatol in Australia and New Zealand, uh, and Blue Chili. And we're trying to find a bunch of amazing startups in Australia that address a, a raft of potential you know, problems and bits and pieces in, in the world that... Uh, that they really want to make a difference in. So, yeah, it's an exciting project. Awesome. Well, welcome back to Australia. Um, I highly recommend living in Manly. That's where I spent nine years. <laughs> but, I'm looking for somewhere to live. This is great. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, well, most people go, you know, you're either a Bondi person or a Manly person. I'm a, I'm a Manly person, um, but go check it out. Um, so you spent um, quite a few years living in, in Asia and then San Francisco, and, and I understand that you were involved in um, mindfulness initiatives and corporate wellness schemes, and how did, how did that transpire? Yeah, Ooh, that's, a, that's a long journey. So I've been doing yoga ever since I was about 17. I think I went to a gym class or something, and I'm a little bit older than 17 now, so I've been going for a while. Um, and then after practicing for a long time, um, I had quite a stressful job. I used to work as a, a journalist for a long time at the ABC, actually, um, and mainly for international. So I um, had a Southeast Asia focus for many, many years. And, yeah, it's, it's a, an intense job and, and quite stressful. So I used to do a lot of yoga. I was one of those people who went to classes almost every day and 
I found that meditating helped a lot with seeing disturbing things, you know, covering stories where there was mm. a lot of death and a lot of hardship and it's hard to look at that every day. And mm. so I started doing a lot of that mindfulness work uh, and I felt that it, it helped a lot. But I was also one of those annoying people who'd stay after class all the time and ask the teacher, you know, why do we do this? And what does this breath technique do? And all those sorts of things. And um, my teachers just started saying to me, you just need to do a teacher training. Mm. So I, I did a one-year yoga teacher training uh, and then lots of further training uh, in 2006, actually, so a while ago, and started teaching yoga very much on the side. You know, one class a week, I was still working full-time as a journalist. But I also started teaching uh, groups. You know, I, I taught at the ABC. Um, I actually taught a bunch of classes for the Australian Ballet, for some AFL football teams and the rugby team. You know, just started teaching kind of bigger groups and, and people who were addressing health and well-being concerns, but also mindset concerns. And it started getting me really into how we can hack, you know, mindfulness, positive thinking, how you can affect group thinking um, and, and really shift the perspective of a group to believe that they can do anything or that they are capable or that they can communicate in different ways and better ways. Um, and I think that's sort of a combination of the journalism thing, the communications thing, and also the mindfulness. And then I decided to move to Asia. Mm. <laughs> and um, I was working as a journalist there um, and a writer, but I, all my students from Australia just started coming out there and, and visiting. And so I started setting up retreats there, mainly in the islands in, in Thailand. And then a uh, company, Shiny Happy Healthy, was born. And I spent about five years traveling all around the world teaching teacher trainings and uh, yoga retreats and corporate trainings. Um, and the corporate side just started taking over a lot more. So people would invite me to come to their office in Singapore and run a creative workshop for a weekend or, you know, for a session or as part of a conference talking about health and well-being, how to incorporate and integrate those practices into every day and also into corporate environments, um, which was which was really great because I think sometime in the last decade, people started getting more and more concerned about it. They could mm -hmm. see their staff getting burned out or struggling or, you know, we talk more about bringing our whole self to work. And so these practices and, and um, yoga and, and mindfulness just in general and, and mindful communication, good conflict resolution, mm. it just became a bigger part of of corporate life, I think, for a lot of companies. And, and I was someone who could come in and, and help them achieve those goals. And that's kind of how I ended up in San Francisco because I was uh, consulting on a, a mindfulness uh, program, a, a team-building app, um, just on how to create better connection and, and better communication to slow down uh, and, and listen better as well. Wow. Okay. So... <laughs> Super interesting. Ten years sort of squashed into. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, and then you, so so you worked in San Francisco. You um, and you ended up. So so just connect the dots between working for this uh, company where they're creating this mindfulness app, um, yeah. and where you are right now with Blue Chili, uh, leading their newest accelerator program. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so four years ago, I first moved to San Francisco. Um, I consulted on this app and then decided, you know what, I think I'm going to stay in San Francisco. And it was the first time, I mean, I'd, I'd worked in digital media for a long time. Um, so, you know, the, an early adopter of Twitter and all that sort of stuff, you know, I was, I was very much an enthusiastic tech person, um, you know, with editing and whatever that you do in, as a journalist. Um, but I never really worked in, in tech that much. Um, and I didn't even realise that, you know, the company that I'd started in um, in Southeast Asia was kind of a, a startup, a bootstrapped one, but a startup. Um, it was funny. I didn't realize that until a couple of years ago. Someone said to me, oh, so you've already had a startup. And I was like, oh, no, I just, I had a little company that I started, but it was just me. And then I hired, and they're like, that's a startup. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, I'm a startup fan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so suddenly I was entering, you know, this hub of technology. And I mean, San Francisco is, is heady and fast and exciting and there were so many amazing conversations that, that just started happening and I, I got to work on so many amazing projects, um, you know, talking to people who are at the forefront of 
machine learning and, and AI technology and what does that mean for humanity? You know, like people from the Long Now Foundation, you know, how diversity is affecting it, how mindfulness can affect all of this. And because of my background in mindfulness, I've, I sort of got deeper and deeper into it. I started working more and more with companies that work with human design and human behavior and looking at how humanity is affected by technology and vice versa and, and how we could perhaps encourage more humanity, encourage better communication um, through the use of technology rather than being hampered by the use of technology uh, in how we connect. Um, so I've worked on, I mean, thousands and thousands of projects on that uh, in the last four years and had, a, had my own consultancy there as well where I was consulting on those various things and teaching mindfulness practices and communication practices. And then as is inevitably the case, you know, you meet a lot of really amazing, interesting people and a lot of the Australians who were coming over to San Francisco, you know, a friend of yours who was already living in San Francisco would say, oh, my friend's really into mindfulness or communication or, you know, used to watch you on the ABC. Can, can they come and meet you? Can you take them out for a drink or a coffee when they're in San Francisco? So, um, you know, you just meet a lot of Australians who were coming out. And one of the people who I, I bumped into was a guy called Alan Jones. Uh, who works with Blue Chili, uh, as well as a, a bunch of other things. He does amazing work with the startup community here in Australia. He's such a champion of it here and overseas. Um, and he started telling me about Blue Chili. And so for the last few years, in fact, I've, I've had a pretty good knowledge of what Blue Chili's been doing and what they're growing. And one of the things that I really love about them is that they aren't just for tech people. Um, you know, they build the tech for their startup founders so that anyone, uh, regardless of their background, uh, who has an amazing idea can make it come to life through these programs. And that's attractive to me because I can code a little bit, but I hate doing it and I'm, I'm not into the software engineering side of it. Um, and I think also in Australia, a lot of those software engineers, a lot of the people who are capable of building this stuff, you know, designers, programmers, end up going overseas or working on their own projects. So there are a lot of really amazing ideas in Australia that can't happen um, unless someone can build them for you. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of fell in love with the vision of Blue Chili and, and what they're about. And I've slowly, you know, been meeting other people from there um, as they've come over to San Francisco to the point that I was uh, in Australia over Christmas this year and was planning on going back to San Francisco and my, my father uh, ended up needing to have some surgery so I hung around in Perth for a bit longer. And during that time, um, the head of people, Claudia, who I had met uh, in San Francisco a couple of times, um, she was saying, oh, so you're, you're still in Australia. Like, are you, are you staying? Are you looking for stuff here? And we started talking about projects and different pieces and this, this project between Blue Chili and Coca-Cola Amatol had just come up and they were looking for a program uh, director and yeah it just seemed like the right time for me to to move back and I'm really inspired by this project and so it all happened rather quickly but uh, it feels like the right move cool. yeah well let's let's dive into this project a little bit because on, on the surface it, it sounds um, well interesting but there's a few questions that, that obviously come up in my mind when you say yeah. partnership between Coca-Cola Amateur and you're talking about some of the other things around obviously your personal philosophy around life and business is very much informed by your your spiritual practice or your meditative yeah. mindfulness practice um so so what is it that that really excites you about this this partnership with with coca-cola amateur yeah so i mean from a wider perspective i think projects like this are a real opportunity for companies to do greater good in the world like i'm really interested in social impact investing and um, social impact projects in general. And so the company that we're working with is Coca-Cola Amatol, which is, it's not, it's not Coca-Cola as such, but it is the, the wider distribution of it. And they have an enormous portfolio of, you know, everything from Coca-Cola to juices, you know, there's, there's loads of, of different things that they're putting out in the world. But they are at its, at its heart a logistics company and they spread throughout the Pacific, Indonesia, Australia and New Zealand. Um, so they've got an enormous reach in this region and they do what they do in the region and they want to do more, you know, they want to be able to reach more of these communities, they want to be able to do more good. So 
for example, the ideas that we're looking for for Accelerate are around well-being, um, so like you know biometrics projects um, around sustainability. Uh, Coca-Cola Amatol has a um, they have a, a goal to be waste neutral by 2030, um, and the way that they're working and you know what they're doing in their current um, you know as they as they go through their day to day. It's going to be really hard for them to achieve that. But if they can find outside companies that are able to help them in that vision, um, companies that we're hoping to find through um, through the Accelerate program as startups that run actually outside of the company, it means they can get more done. And then they're also looking for logistics ideas, ways to be more efficient, ways for humans to connect in better ways, ways for us to do business in better ways. So I really love, you know, I'm I'm definitely someone who's um I've I've mainly worked with the ABC, for example, you know, and I've started in the last few years working with enormous companies, you know, like Facebook and, and yeah. doing projects at Google and Airbnb and and I've seen firsthand how huge corporate dollars can make a really enormous difference. And that started shifting my thinking about how I work, you know, am I willing to work with big companies? who are then going to be able to harness that money for good. And I think overwhelmingly they've done more um, in short amounts of time um, to really make those big differences. So, yeah, this project for me is really exciting because I think they're really putting their money where their mouth is. And the projects that we find and support and create, you know, the businesses that are going to be created through this project, that's all going to happen before the end of this year. And that is so fast and so exciting. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be a part of it. Amazing. So, what what's what's their rationale? So you explained a little bit uh, behind them as a as a distribution company, essentially, and and I know what you mean by that. If you go to any sort of third world pocket of the world, you'll see these distribution networks that you're talking about. So they they do have like amazing reach. Um, yeah. And so so did you get a sense that at the top of this company and at the leadership level, there there are uh, values um, and, and a sense of purpose that that you felt alignment with. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the one of the big things that they're really committed to is improving all the time. I mean, mm. one of the things that I've heard in every meeting that we've had with them is that they're consciously working to improve while maintaining their bottom line, and I think that's a really difficult thing. Um, you know, obviously you have a successful business model, but there's also a level of transparency that's needed in companies. You know, you can't just go around, you know, dumping plastic all over the world. You can't just go around, you know, serving up products that aren't good for people. But you can do your bit to educate people about the kinds of things that you should be consuming and how mindfully you should consume things, um, about how you produce goods and how you distribute them. You know, they're constantly looking for ways to do that. And I think this program is exactly that. Like, they've recognised that they can't do that fast enough uh, if they're operating in the same way as they have for 100 years. They need this outside help so that they can move faster to make those changes in their business and make the changes in, in the world that they want to see. You know, it's not like there's a bunch of big fat cats at the top of every company being like, no, we don't care who we're going to screw over. We're going to completely just do business as usual and that's what we're doing. It's like, no, they're really passionate and they're really concerned and they really want to make a big change and they want to learn how to do that in a faster way. And that's where startup culture and corporate culture get to come together. Interesting to hear you say that because that's, uh, I think that's a little bit of myth-busting going on there because... Um, a lot of people do think that there are a bunch of fat cats sitting in their ivory towers who really don't care. There's sort of like a dehumanization that happens when, because of the whole shareholder model and faceless big giant corporations. So, so what you're saying here is that like this sort of convergence of, of rootsy startup culture and big corporates can, um, in your opinion, uh, provide like the, the the power and the funding of the company plus like the sort of like spirit and the new ideas and inspiration and nimbleness and cutting edgeness of startup kind of culture to potentially proliferate awesome solutions. Yeah, I mean that's the idea behind it. Yeah, and it's 
I mean, I'm not naive. Like, I, I don't think that all companies in the world are like, you know, yay, like, we just want to help humanity. Like, there are definitely big corporates in the world that are not doing the right thing. And, you know, there's a whole conversation that we could have another time about tax and, you know, the kind of tax that should be paid by big companies and all that sort of thing. But when I see a company that is really passionately excited about making changes and willing to put big money. I mean, Coca-Cola Anatol is putting $10 million into this project in the next few years. Like, they're putting serious money into making these changes and making a difference and doing things in a new and different way. I just, I think that's something that's really exciting and I think it's going to move things faster than if I'm protesting or, you know, rallying against it or getting on Facebook and saying, like, okay, you know, I'm not going to buy a certain product or I'm I'm not going to buy, the, you know, I think those things are awesome and especially on mass. I don't want to buy products that aren't supporting the values that I have. You know, I don't want to um, be supporting companies that, that don't adhere to the practices that I believe are important for the planet and, and right for people. Mm. Um, but I do want to support companies that are willing to put dollars into making those changes and I really want to be a part of those projects because I do, like as I said, I, I think this is the way that we can make quick changes um, and it's a way that we can work, you know, hand in glove with bigger companies so that we can mm. make those changes faster. Yeah, really interesting. So you talked a little bit before um, about uh, technology and its, its application in certain ways, in ways that could enhance human connection potentially. Um, let's talk a little bit about that because you've obviously been in the heartland of technological innovation um, over in the Valley. And um, there's a little bit of a debate going on these days around uh, particularly artificial intelligence, but to a lesser degree, virtual reality and um, just the whole specter of like uh, the, the boundaries between uh, artificial intelligence machines and humans and what it actually means for us as a species. Like, so what, what are some of, what, what's your sort of overriding philosophy when it, when it comes to this conversation? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I think at the heart of it, for me, maintaining awareness and discernment are the most important things. And that helps me, you know, just me personally weigh up you know, what I think is right or aligned in any given moment. And by that I mean, you know, looking at how I interact with people or how often I'm on my phone or how much technology I'm consuming, the type of technology and media that I'm consuming, um, and noticing the impact that, that has on the quality of my relationships and the quality of my communication. Um, I mean, that's sort of a very overarching mm-hmm. um, way to look at it. But generally, that's what I encourage people to do, you know, from a coaching perspective or, you know, when I'm going into um, going into companies and, and talking to groups. For example, um, you know, talking to groups of lawyers um, at Google who look at a lot of images every day that are really disturbing, um, you know, so all those filters that we have on our Google searches, somebody has to choose those. You know, people are going in and, and choosing how to do that. And what's really great about it is, you know, by them choosing it and AI being um, applied and the machine learning of how they choose those things means that more and more of that is automated. But those people at the front line of doing that work have to look at all of that stuff every day. And that's really difficult for a lot of people to look at that and, and to deal with. There's sort of a human cost of us building products. You know, I mean, that's a very simple mm-hmm. example of that. But, you know, working with people who deal with that and teaching them how to decompress and talk about it and deal with looking at that kind of media and those sorts of images. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so those, those are, there's sort of human costs in the building of these things and there's human costs mm-hmm. in um, the execution of it. But then ultimately that could be a really great thing that people don't have to be doing that every day. And then we're, we're learning to protect, you know, our, ourselves in, in terms of filters and, and how we interact with media. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole other argument. I mean, this would sort of be a messy conversation of like Skynet is coming and the machines are going to kill us all and we should be really kind 
to any machines and any AI and, and be very mindful about the kind of AI that we create lest some machine gains its own sentience and comes and murders all of the humans. You know, like I've had lots of conversations about that as well and you sort of think it's kind of scary. What are we building? Do we know what we're doing? Um, but again, for me, that, that comes back to, um, you know, the, the golden rule about it. You know, treat, treat anything that you're working on and anyone you're dealing with as you would like to be treated. Um, you be discerning about how you behave, be discerning about how you interact and, and what it is that you put out in the world and be as responsible as you can. I think it's hard to be responsible around AI stuff sometimes because how do, how do we know? Like, we don't know. What's the benchmark? Like, what, what, what is responsible? Yeah, yeah it's, it's all uncharted yeah. territory. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's still it's, early. Yeah. yeah. I think that there's this sort of fascinating convergence point between first of all like entrepreneurship second of all mindfulness and uh, consciousness and the development or expansion of our consciousness or awareness Um, and then thirdly this this whole specter of technology and artificial intelligence it's sort of like kind of all happening at the same time you know this sort of fast-paced startup culture and like mindfulness becoming more embraced um, in the corporate world and the startup world. And then there's like, oh, we're entering a whole new world where there's machines and AI and things like this. It's it's happening right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting because I notice a lot of people who have been working in, say, in Silicon Valley for the last 20 or 30 years, they've seen a lot of it. And you'll notice that a lot of them are starting to really step away. You know, a lot of people buying land in New Zealand and, yes. you know, living in remote areas and really stepping back and totally. learning how to rebalance because I think especially people who've been in it for a long time will see that burning out and, you know, pushing that hard and maybe pushing out products that aren't really doing much for humanity and maybe have a, an adverse effect, um, you know, those people are, are really recognising that, it is important to be mindful and responsible with what we create and what we put into the world. And I, I also think Australia has a, a big opportunity. This is one of the things I'm really excited about with Australia because I think mm. Australians often look at, you know, America and, you know, Silicon Valley and New York and San Francisco and it's fast and it's exciting, but there's also a big human cost. I was constantly um, being approached to coach people who uh, – burnt out, feeling disconnected, depression is a, a massive problem, um, you know, suicide rates in that part of the world as well. It's really it's very sad and it's, mm-hmm. it's such an indicator of, you know, this isn't, this isn't work for people and this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at Australia and I think, okay, startup-wise and technology-wise, we're still growing and we're still learning, but we have such an opportunity to build it mindfully, to build it beautifully and to to you know, address these mistakes before they might happen. You know, we are still working out how to build it. We don't have to do it the same way as it's being done in Silicon Valley. We can build this in a different way. We can incorporate work-life balance. It doesn't have to be this breakneck speed. We can build something that is lasting and mindful and beneficial to humanity and done in a way that helps people and connects people and mm. enhances humanity Rather than at the top well, of it. well, let's talk about that. That's a fascinating theme because you, you just talked a little bit about some the underbelly of of tech startup land. Really, it's like for every billion dollar company, there's like I don't know how many how many companies that that fail, and of course, there's a lot of stress and pain involved and uh, burnout, chronic stress, and and as you mentioned, suicide. These these are these are real things because we're dealing with highly leveraged situations like a lot of money on the on the line and also a lot of lives on the line because every single person that you employ has you know family to look after and then and then you're dealing with young people who are potentially in, intellectually uh, very intelligent potentially gifted potentially great engineers uh, mm. potentially great in other areas but it doesn't mean that they've developed emotional intelligence or the sort of um life skills that can help someone really navigate through this kind of complexity and pressure and it's it it really is something that 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 I'd I'd love to talk to you about this right now because the 
you know, one of the reasons why I was drawn to, to Sydney, and maybe you're feeling this right now, is because people do have a life outside of work in Sydney, you know. Yeah. They, they do, they do um, you know, crack open a beer and, and chill out and not think about work on, on the weekends. You know, there yeah. is this, you know, it's surrounded by beautiful beaches and ocean. Um, and there definitely this, is this culture of like having, living a good life, right? Is, is that something you felt? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of me wanting to move back to Australia. I mean, I grew up in Perth. And Perth always for me as a, as a teenager especially just felt like it was on half speed, mm. you know. I was, I was one of those kids that was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Like, I want to travel everywhere. And Perth always seemed like this just like, why is everyone so slow here? This is driving me crazy. <laughs> it was isolated. And, yeah. uh, and now I go back to Perth and I think, oh, what bliss. This yeah. is amazing. It's slow and delicious yeah. and people talk to each other and say hi and it's there's beaches everywhere and it's beautiful mm. weather and coming from San Francisco back to Sydney, it's such a similar feeling, you know. It's, it's not even that it's slower here. It's just that people really, I would say they kind of know the value of, of balance yeah. and they know the value of community and it's not something that we have to artificially create here. Like you yeah. notice that a lot of apps in San Francisco are around building community. Mm. It's really funny, huh? Like, yeah, let's build an app for building community. It's like, <laughs> No, like go to the beach. That's what you get. Like go to the beach. Yeah, like <laughs> go to the same cafe every day. And when you're at the cafe, take your earphones yeah. out and say hello to your barista and talk about like what they're doing today and yeah. like learn about that. Like that's what community building is. Oh, you know? Totally. It's sort of funny to think totally. that you know you have to have an app to build a community. And look, technology can be amazing. I mean, because San Francisco is so transient. Apps like Nextdoor, for example, were hugely valuable for me to like find furniture and connect with people in my neighborhood. They were great because, you know, a lot of people from San Francisco are coming from all over. And yeah. Sydney's the same, it seems like. I mean, I've been here literally three weeks, so I, you know, I can't purport to be a, a Sydney expert. But, oh, you know, you're bang on. And, and, and there's a lot of migrants coming from Europe. There's a lot of pommies basically coming coming to Sydney and, and they're... Yeah. You know, they've they've worked in through English winters and haven't seen daylight for months and months. And they come to yeah. Australia and they're like, "Oh wow, I can actually oh, live a balanced life." How amazing is this? Yeah, yeah exactly. Totally. And it's healthy. You know, it's really nice and really healthy. And I've noticed going out to dinner here, for example, no one's really on their phone. It's so nice. And people will say, "Oh, sorry, I just have to check." You know, I I just need to check this text. They'll apologize. They're actually still mindful about how they're interacting with their technology and that the person in front of them is still the most important thing. I found by and large that wasn't really the case. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, they've tipped that. They've tipped over that threshold. Into, yeah. Oh, wow. It's very socially acceptable to be at dinner with people and pull your phone out and, and just be on it. Or, you know, while you're mid-conversation, like, I'll just check that on my phone. And then as soon as someone pulls their phone out, everybody else will and it's, it's an addiction it's, it's happened like wow. I've, I noticed that a lot wow 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 super interesting yeah. but there's something that I don't, I don't I don't think it matters whether you're in Singapore or San Francisco or Sydney there's let's talk about the the infrastructure the the, the startup ecosystem I'm, I'm super interested in in your views around that because we, we spoke a little bit about the kind of like leveraged pressure of you know being a being a young person with a great idea and then um, potentially the idea gets traction and potentially you raise funding and then all of a sudden you're in this sort of like heightened environment and there's expectations um, and there's return on investment that people around you need and want um, what are your what are your sort of thoughts around the, the culture um, of startup land uh, in relation to and and where sort of like awareness of self-care practices um is because because my observation is that you know it's like maslow's hierarchy of needs the bottom level is just pure survival right and when you're thinking about surviving you're not thinking about thriving You're, you're, you're you're just thinking about surviving and so i've noticed that particularly with clients of of mine of flow state there's there has to be a certain level of safety of psychological safety that's reached before often people are like okay now i'll get a coach now i'll think about um, mindfulness and company culture yeah see what i mean yeah 
Absolutely. I've, I've dealt with a lot of clients in San Francisco where, you know, some, and I, I don't want to say kids, but I'll often call them kids, like some 24-year-old has been hacking away, building a product in their parents' basement in Ohio for the past how many years, like since they were a teenager. Mm-hmm. And these are people who are amazing. I mean, they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. And they're building these awesome products. And then all of a sudden the product starts to get some traction. Mm-hmm. And they move to San Francisco or Austin or Provo or mm-hmm. New York. You know, they move somewhere where there's more of an ecosystem. And all of a sudden they get a huge amount of funding and they're expected to hire a bunch of people. And then they're suddenly the CEO of a company where they're dealing with like 50 people. And that can happen overnight. I mean, this can be in like a week or two mm-hmm. and suddenly they've got this company. And this is someone who has been dealing purely with algorithms and a computer in a basement mm-hmm. for years. And that's where they're comfortable. That's what they're great at. But they're not great at communicating. They don't understand company culture. They don't understand how to manage or deal with other people. And I think that's a bit of a failing, first of all, that you know, just because you built the product that you should necessarily be a CEO of a company. That's one of them. And that's, that's one of the big questions that I often ask people. Where I'll be like, do you want to be a CEO? Do you want to be helping the engineers? Like, what do you, what do you want to be doing? Like, mm-hmm. how is your day going to be spent? So mm-hmm. I think those are good questions for people to ask if they're building companies and incorporating them and setting them up. But I think, and this comes back to the, the meditation as a building block, honestly, it's hard to ask yourself those questions if you can't slow down and pay enough attention to the reactions that are happening in your body. So for example, often doing like a very simple breath exercise with someone who would come in, who is quite obviously to me suffering from extreme anxiety and is feeling upset and overwhelmed. You can tell straight away if someone's shoulders are up here and they're breathing and they can't even get the sentence out and they're can't look you in the eye and you know they're dealing with all of these physical symptoms of how difficult their life feels right now but they're unable to actually connect with like what is actually not working for me right now it might be I don't I'm like you know I'm a super introvert and I don't want to talk to so many people every day or the stress of this funding is is too big a stress for me and I, I don't think we can deliver it everything is negotiable and sometimes it doesn't feel that way. You know, sometimes we feel like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose this $2 million in this next round and then the company is dead in the water and we have to iterate in the next seven days, otherwise this. Whereas if we stop and build things a little more patiently, a little more mindfully, a little more to last uh, rather than an 18-month exit is the be-all and end-all mm. and how do we get there as quickly as possible. Mm. What if you build a company that was still there in 20 years? Oh, That'd be man. such a bad thing. <laughs> this is this is like the one thing, just to use the, the parlance of the valley, but this is one thing I want to disrupt is this whole culture of, of uh, scaling and exiting. It's like, for what? Like I've had clients who have, who have, yeah. who have had the, the nine-figure exit and then they're just like, oh, I'm, I'm depressed. Now what? It's like, yeah, I yeah. now have nothing else to do, like, I don't know what I want to do in the world. I don't, what yeah. difference do I want to make? How, what have I done? What have I done with this product? I've spoken to people who've, you know, disrupted industries. You know, you look at companies that are saving us lots of money through, for example, you know, glasses, you know, making glasses frames. I think we all know what companies those are, you know, like all the mattresses. Those are amazing products and they totally disrupt an industry. But if you look, there was an amazing article that I read, I think it was in The Economist a couple of years ago, and it was talking about how optometrists and bed salesmen and mattress salesmen all through the Midwest of America, those companies have been really adversely affected. So all the mum and pop stores all through that part of America are closing down because you can, you know, you can buy whatever you need online and you can just send it back or ship it. You know, but the shipping costs of it are a, a detriment to the environment. Um, you're closing down small businesses, which adversely affects the local economy. And then we end up shipping in things through all of the big conglomerates, you know, and then mm-hmm. Walmart and Target get more of your dollars because the local shops end up closing down and that's where you have to shop mm-hmm. to, to get any of the other goods that you might need. 
So it's, you know, when we're talking about mindful business and you're looking at the impact that you have on a global scale, it's sometimes good to just think, like, well, what am I actually disrupting? And sometimes we just don't know. Like, people are just thinking, yeah, it's cool. I want to be able to buy a cheaper mattress or cheaper glasses. Like, I, I do. I want to buy cheaper goods. That's great. But who am I putting out of a job? And, and I think if we do things a little more slowly and if we aren't afraid to maybe miss out on that instant money and that instant gratification and that instant cash, we can set things up to be a little more, a little more mindful and a little better maybe for everybody. Interesting. Now, something that I've always been a little bit surprised by, and I know that this is changing and I'm keen to get your opinion on this, is you get these um, VCs, for example, or even accelerators that, that, that find a great founder with a great idea and they say, we're going to support you. And then from what I can see, there's a little bit of like a, okay, we'll support you with strategy. We'll support you. We'll, we'll introduce you to the right people. We'll help you like, you know, with your ops. But there seems to be a little bit of a gap when it comes to, okay, we're going to help you with your mindset. We're going to to help you with your nutrition. We're going to help you with your mental well-being. Because they've just invested. They've just like put their money into a young person usually. Um, And and surely the biggest risk, but also on the downside and, and the biggest potential on the upside, surely the biggest lever is the performance of the founder. Yeah, I, I think there are, I've, I've seen both happen. I've seen, um, I've seen some amazing investors invest but also insist that the founder or the management and leadership team do certain like either leadership courses or in, invest in a coach or they'll even, you know, pay for a coach, um, which is awesome. And you can see the difference. You can see the difference in their well-being. You can see the difference in the kinds of boundaries that they're able to set and in how they can accept how their staff try to set boundaries with them. You know, is it okay if someone says no to you? Mm. How do you deal with someone saying no to you from either a sales perspective or your staff member saying like, hey, we're burnt out. We need we need a weekend and mm. that needs to be okay. Um, so, yeah, learning learning how to do that, how to resolve conflict, all of those things. But yeah, I agree that it's it's vastly underserved, and it usually only comes about after burnout. Um, so mm-hmm. a company will have a big burnout; they'll have an exit, someone falls over. You know, they've got they've got seventeen million dollars or fifty million dollars, you know, from an exit, and then they're like, I, "I'm not going to be able to work for the next year. I'm going to go home to Cincinnati and sleep yeah. for six months, and then regroup." I mean, you shouldn't need to regroup from your your own life. <laughs> that's, that's Interesting, right? It's like, I, why am I regrouping from my own life? Why am yeah. I needing to do that? And I, I think as well, it's it's a it's something that Silicon Valley and and San Francisco tries to hack, mm. which is interesting because it's like, sure, you you want to be mindful and you want to have good practices and you want balance. Are you going through the motions of doing that, or are you actually doing that? Are you buying products and services that simulate doing that? Or are you actually looking at yourself? Are you looking at your life? Are you looking at how you're behaving and what you're building and operating in line with your actual values? Or are you pretending to do that because it's sexy to be, you know, to you know, be mindful and meditate and it might help you pick up a girl to say that you go to a certain yoga studio or something like that. Totally. Like I encountered a lot of kind of false. <laughs> oh, it's like, mindfulness. It's okay. I drink the bulletproof coffee and I, and I do the headspace app and one day I'll go to Vipassana. Yeah. So it's all yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Or people who've been on one Vipassana and then come back and set up a, you know, a mindfulness consultancy. And I, I'm not discounting that they had an amazing experience, but like, are you equipped to, to deal with the stuff that's going to come up with people, you know? Are you actually peddling something that is going to, in a, in a, in a sustainable and uh, I don't want to use the word proper because I think meditation takes a lot of different forms for a lot of different people, but just making sure that you are responsible in how you're teaching and, and how you're imparting the wisdom that you do have. And, and making sure that you're not being a snake oil salesman 
For sure. Yeah. I think you get found out pretty fast, you know? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Like a, Sometimes I think not as fast as I would like, you know? Oh, really? <laughs> I'm just like, wow, like you're teaching this to people and that's not, you don't, you, there's not integrity in your business or there's not integrity in the way you're teaching it. And, yeah. you know, I, I think it's great that loads of people are involved in the mindfulness movement and I think it's awesome. And I'm not saying like, oh yeah, I'm the authority on all things mindful, but I think if you practice for a long time and you do get better at, at teaching people and, and being responsible for the things that can happen because people can have big revelations and transformations from doing this kind of work, which is awesome, but it can also bring up a lot of stuff. It can really affect people's mental health. It can cause them to have, you know, psychotic episodes. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you need to be responsible with and I think it's so important that we're responsible in the way that we teach people. 100%. I couldn't agree more. I'm curious about the criteria. Uh, you talked about it briefly before, the criteria for the um, Accelerate program. Yeah. Um, so if I'm, uh, if, I've, if I'm developing an app, if I'm sitting in my mum's basement right now, uh, developing an app that I'm really excited about and it's going to uh, connect dog owners with dog walkers, for example, um, mm-hmm. is, is, this, is this something that you guys are going to be interested in? It's got great numbers. Uh, so, well, the startups that Blue Chili looks for are what we call napkin ideas. So if you've already built something, then we can put you in the scale-up part of the okay. program, which comes later. Gotcha. So what we're looking for right now um, in this initial part of the program is always the startup ideas. So you don't even need to have built anything. You literally okay. just have to have an amazing idea mm-hmm. um, that fits one of, the, one of the criteria. So the criteria that we're looking around is the, the wellness, Mm-hmm. sustainability, um, also around logistics and how we deliver products and also around data, data and per- personalization, you know, how we can harness data to make better decisions about customers, how we can move, you know, anything around the world, how you get people what they want when they want it, those sorts of things. Um, anything that harnesses those three areas, if you have an amazing idea about how to shift those areas or do something better, then we definitely want to hear about those. And that's the, you know, napkin stage. And then and must, they be, must they be yeah. like digital and scalable and global in scope? Yeah, yeah. So digital, scalable, tech, tech solutions. So we've actually, we've had a few people contact us and say like, I've got an amazing idea for a, a new beverage that uses, you know, stevia or something like that. And I'm like, literally is not a drink factory. So we can't help you grow that. However, if you have a solution to, I don't know, use people's DNA and taste buds and figure out what their favorite flavor would be, then we could probably help you build a tech solution around that. Um, I mean, that exact thing, I have no idea how. We don't have a DNA specialist here, but we do have, you know, um, amazing designers and and, uh, programmers who can definitely help try and figure out a solution with that. So, um, yeah, we're definitely looking for tech solutions and scalable and can you tell us a little bit about the the process yeah for sure so there's a there's a website obviously of course there's a website amateuraccelerate.com and all of the terms and conditions and all the bits and pieces are uh, on that website so I I won't bore you with all of those now but basically there's an application on the website that you go through and it's it's quite a, a good guided process so it goes through and gives us a really great idea of you know what your idea is who you are, um, because that's another part of it. You can have a great idea, but you may just not be someone who would necessarily be equipped to go through that process or, you know, um, necessarily want to lead your own business. And I think those are good questions to ask yourself. You know, are you ready to be a founder of a company that could potentially scale very quickly? Um, You know, exactly like what we're talking about, this is something that is going to be spat out the other end with MVP and we want to make sure that you're ready to to take that journey. so, yeah, this process leads you through and has a look at, you know, who you are, what the product is, what the idea is, and then you obviously press send on your application, and then we will look through all of the applications, and uh, I can tell there are going to be a lot of them, there are <laughs> a lot coming through, um, but we read all of the applications, and we're going to choose around 40 from all of those applications, and then those 40... 30 to 40, we'll go into a boot camp for a couple of weeks, two and a half weeks, and we kind of kick the tyres of the ideas 
and ask a lot of questions, look at how we could potentially build all of these things. And at the end of that, we'll have around 15 ideas, 15 finalists who will be selected to go into the accelerator program. Then the accelerator program is the, the juice. Like mm. that's where you get $38,000 to really kickstart the project. And then we build it for you. Um, we'll do the whole thing. You know, we build it. We do the business development with you, the sales and marketing. We show you how to be a founder and, and how to mindfully create something with them. And then at the other end, you pop out with a product and a business, an incorporated business, um, that solves one of these problems, that, that gets you started on really working on one of these problems that we're committed to resolving in the world. Uh, and then you're also one of the Blue Chile alumni forever. So you get to work with all of our mentors. We have an amazing array of mentors all over because this program is for Australia and New Zealand. So with a bunch of mentors in New Zealand, a bunch in Australia, um, who will be there, you know, you're creating amazing relationships with people who can really support you through the journey, not just from a, you know, a product standpoint, but people who have been through this exact process before and know how to do it and know how to not lose your mind while you do it and know what kind of support you're going to need. Um, so we support you through that whole journey through the accelerator and beyond. Uh, yeah, and then if I have my way, then we rinse, repeat, do it again next year <laughs> so that we can find more amazing ideas. Awesome. So $38,000, $38, just go run through the financials of that, please. Like what's the, mm -hmm. what's the equity... Stay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So $38,000 is what you get if you get into the accelerator program. So that's the initial um, fund. And what that does is that Blue Chile will then take 15% of the company value, like your ideas value um, for that 38000 And then we build the product for you. So it's, you know, rather than paying like 150000 or 200000 or however much people pay for getting their product built, we build that in-house. For you uh, in exchange for that 15%. And then this also provides you, so we actually just signed a big deal with Hatcher, who's a, a Singapore uh, VC fund. Um, and this provides you with a window for follow-on funding. So there will be up to $500,000 available in follow-on funding. Um, out of Blue Chile and Hatcher, and a further 200000 out of uh, Coca-Cola Amatol if they choose to invest in your, in your idea. Mm. So it's up to 700000 up to 700000 in follow-on funding, and then obviously beyond that if you find other investors, which is what we have a vested interest in, in helping you do because we have 15%. 15%, of course. Mm. Yeah. And what are the attributes that you're looking for separate from the actual idea? What are the sort of more human attributes you're looking for? Yeah, and a founder, tenacity. Tenacity is a big one. Um, we actually just gave a talk this week uh, about resilience. And I think that's also a bit of a learned skill. It's sort of a muscle um, that as you kind of get kicked and yet there are there are high points and there are low points. I mean, you've been around this industry a lot, like, there are a lot of high points. There are sometimes a lot of low points. There could be some troughs where you're just kind of in the doldrums and waiting around. So, yeah, resilience. Um, good communication is a big one. Being able to communicate your idea and being able to, um, you know, resolve things in real time to be able to speak to vendors, to be able to speak to staff, you know, be able to communicate your idea is a big one. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, really, I think... There is a certain type of human who is an awesome entrepreneur. You know, there is probably a bit of thick skin involved. Um, you know, someone who's willing to take direction as well. Um, sometimes you get people through who are just like, yeah, I'm going to build this thing and it's going to be amazing and I don't need anyone and, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it and I don't need to listen to you. And it's like, oh, that's probably not a good fit for us. You know, yeah. like we want someone who's going to be like, okay, you're telling me that this product isn't working and I need to pivot on this idea and mm. I, I'm so attached to it, but I think I probably need to listen and, and trust that these people have my best interests at heart, you know? Mm. Maybe humility is not even the right word, but yeah, just being willing to listen and, and mm. being willing to learn. It's a learning process, you know? You're coming through this as a almost as a student, you mm. know, and we want you to win. So we're looking for however we can help you win in this process and with this product as, 
as much as we can. Yeah. Um, so. Do you have a Do you have a favorite? Uh, any sort of leaning towards uh, solo or two founders? Anything like that? No, I think as long as it's a, a great idea and as long as it solves one of the problems that we're looking yeah. to solve, I don't care if it's like seventeen people. Maybe <laughs> it's hard to go through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, and especially if you work well with someone. I mean, a big reason that a lot of people come through Blue Chili to do an incubator idea, um, or an, you know, a, for for our accelerator is because. They have this great idea and they've been looking for a tech founder and they can't find one. You know, they're, they're just like, I, I just think this app will change the world and it's amazing, but I'm not a technical person and I don't know how to build this myself. And they've interviewed a bunch of people who would come on as their CTO and they just are like, I, I don't think I'd work well with this person. I just don't do this as a good fit. Um, and they either need more time to find that person or they just, that's just not a, a good fit for them. So, we are able to build the thing, make connections, help them find that person um, so that it is a good fit. Um, and then, you know, they're able to build this company in a way that you know, if you're working with someone every day, you want to make sure that it is a really, really great fit. Awesome. And just quickly, on, on the applications that you've skimmed through quickly, do, uh, do they, are you optimistic about them meeting the, the criteria um, that, that you talked about earlier on? Yeah, look, I'm not going to lie, especially at this early stage, we get a few ideas through where I'm like, wow, we need to tweak the website copy because <laughs> I'm worried that something's the mark a little bit. A little bit uh, yeah. You always get the left field ones. It doesn't matter what your website is. <laughs> right? But I also think it's um, people are maybe sitting around waiting. You know, they've, they've got these awesome ideas and they're just thinking, great, this is an opportunity. And they maybe don't read the website or what we're really looking for and they just send mm. off their idea. And, you know, more power to them. It's fine. Like, I'll read, I'll read it. Um, I, will, I will lose nights of sleep reading some mm. of these applications. But it's worth it, you know, to mm. find the ones that are really going to be amazing and make the difference that we want to make. Mm. Um, you know, that's, that's the price that we pay. This is the process we go through. And mm. I think most people are really getting it. You know, they're really excited. Um, mm. We are also running a bunch of roadshow events. Um, that I can I can make sure I send to you and um, running you know ask me anything on Facebook Live and on our mm. site just to make sure that if people do have questions and they're not sure if their idea works you know come and come to an event and and say hi to us and and chat to me you can email me at mm. Bluechilly as well and and ask me you know does this actually fit is this the sort of thing you're looking for and then you can yeah. make sure that your application is you know is really tailored and and it gets yeah. a shot. Yeah, it sound, there was a little bit of, I know that we connected on, on the Sydney Startups Facebook group and there's a little bit of people like going back and forth. So say, I, I see this all the time, people, founders saying, oh, 15% seems like a lot for yeah. 38 grand. And, um, but it, it seems to me like I, I know a little bit about Blue Chili and I know a little bit about their, you know, the, the, when you say we'll build your platform, that's kind of like a really big thing, you know. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, I think for people who are, already programmers and software engineers, like I get that 15% would seem ridiculous to people who can do it themselves. Like why would you pay us, you know, or you're not even paying us, like why would you join our program and and use our programmers when you can do it yourself? Like obviously go and do it yourself. But for me, as, as a non-programmer person, it's an awesome opportunity. And for people who otherwise wouldn't have that tech expertise, then, you know, I just think it's an amazing opportunity. It's so so much cheaper. I was talking to somebody uh, about her. She has a product that she's working on right now, and she's been shopping around and trying to find a CTO. I mean, mm. she all of those problems I described. I was thinking of this woman. Um, you know, she's shopping around trying to find a CTO who wants an enormous salary and he wants, you know, probably about a year and about two hundred grand at least to build it. And if she gets into our program, she's going to get $38,000 of funding plus the product built, plus all of the connections and the ability to put it out into the world, plus access to amazing mentors and advisors, plus access to the Coca-Cola Amatol network. I mean, if your idea is in line with that and Coca-Cola chooses you to both fund and connect with their network, I mean, it's such a no-brainer as, as an awesome opportunity but yeah, we're very different. Blue Chili is really different in what we offer, intentionally so, mm. um, because there are a lot of startup programs already everywhere else in the world that 
do it the way that most people do it. So it's, this is a different offering, but for a very good reason, I think. And, and are you, as the program director, are you kind of like the liaison slash coach, mentor for the people going through this? Yeah, yeah. So I'm obviously the liaison, you know, for, for all of the things in this program. I'm kind of the big mama mm. bear that um, <laughs> puts everyone through the program, but also, yeah, as a coach. And that's a big part of what had me take this job. Yeah. I love coaching. I've worked as a coach and a mentor and an advisor um, and as a consultant. You know, I've, my, my big thing in life is making people's dreams come true. I've, I've, I am 150,000% committed to making people's dreams come true. And being able to work on this program is a dream for me because it's, it's a tangible, concrete way to give people funding and money to make that happen. Mm. So it's, it's an exciting prospect. Beautiful. Well, I might even apply. That sounds Please awesome. Please do. <laughs> you have amazing ideas. I'm just going like, to like go, through, <laughs> go through my notes and find, a, find one of my clients. Um, do it. Do it. <laughs> no, it sounds awesome. Um, I, I personally, as someone who, who operates as a, as a coach and consultant in the startup space, like the, the, the opportunity to... The promise of not being alone and, yeah. and to have like yes. people at various stages of the journey, to, to have people around me who get the journey, to, to, to be able to be introduced to people, to be part of a network. These things are beyond value. Yeah. Like it can be a very lonely path as an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. And just, be, just being able to shoot an email off or pick up the phone and say, I'm really struggling here, I'm stuck, and get an answer from someone who gives a shit is priceless yeah and to be able to go through the journey you know each of our cohorts we noticed you know so we're in the middle of she starts two with blue chili at the moment mm. um the city connect group has just finished up as well you know all of these people are going through this journey together they're dealing with all of it together and mm. even just being able to call one of your fellow entrepreneurs and and say this founder thing is not working out for me <laughs> I'm having a bad day. I very, you know, at very least, I need you to come and have a glass of wine with me on, on Friday so we can mm. just commiserate about the fact that everyone has rejected my product this week. Mm. And also celebrating the big wins with each other. You know, people in, in all of these cohorts are juggling children and mortgages and relationships and trying to figure out, you know, how they make this work. And these are people's dreams, you know. These are business ideas, but they're also that secret thing that you've always been wanting to do. You know, maybe you've always wanted to be your own boss or to build something or to solve a big problem like this. That's someone's dream. Like, we need to do everything that we can to nurture those and to, to have them take flight. And mm. we've really seen that, you know, putting together in a cohort, making sure that people aren't alone, that makes an enormous difference in people's well-being as they develop these. Sure does. Well, I can feel it. I, and I know why Blue Chili hired you. I think they did an awesome, oh, awesome, uh, awesome win getting you on. <laughs> um, thank you so much for dialoguing with me on some of these, the, the, some of these themes, some of the important kind of like unseen elements of, of startup culture and helping us and the, me and the audience sort of connect the dots between uh, social impact and technology and entrepreneurship. I think it was really helpful to shine some awareness on, on some of those things. And it's great to see that, that one of Australia's uh, leading accelerators uh, cares and, um, yeah, he's doing such great things. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Lovely to see you. Well, that was the awesome Megan Flamer from Blue Chili. What an interesting human being she is. What fantastic experience and way of explaining concepts and her view on tech startup land and how consciousness and mindfulness are blending into these worlds. Just a really great conversation there, very inspiring. I've been thinking a little bit about uh, visionaries and what it is to be a visionary and really connecting the dots between flow states, mindfulness, uh, basically self-development and uh, the worlds of uh, tech startup land and high growth businesses. And Really like helping to, un like really searching deep to figure out what it is that makes a visionary. Like what is it that makes someone like Elon Musk capable of not only seeing a audacious vision, but setting his life up in a way that his visions are becoming a reality. 
And I really uh, came to the understanding that it's really about three factors. One of them is about the first factor. I call these the vectors of being a visionary. The first one is really having a um, meaningful sense of purpose. The second one is about the originality and the authenticity of the vision. Does it come through you? Is it of you? And the third vector is about whether or not you can not only see the vision, but you can feel it. It's a visceral experience, the uh, visualization, the feelization of this vision. Dropping into flow state is such a powerful way to become a visionary or to water the roots of uh, your potential emerging visionary capacities. If you want to learn how to get into these states, then go to flowstate.co forward slash get in flow. And there's a very simple four-step formula which helps you uh, snap shift into higher states of consciousness from which uh, visions can emerge. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Next week, we've got a fascinating conversation with a fellow flow junkie and flow expert. Um, Tune in then. Until then, have a beautiful flowing week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.